Lighting the Night, Remembering the Children, Driving Authors, and Folk Americana Music. This is Thursday, September 28th, and you're in the moment. I'm Kara Hetland, and today on the program, we'll talk with artist Jonathan Foster about his music and his tour of performances across the state. Kevin Wooster joins us, and he'll describe his time driving authors around Deadwood last week during the Festival of Books. A new exhibit that features historical photos and mementos documenting the lives and deaths of children at Rapid City boarding schools opens this Saturday. And we'll hear about a lighting of the night to bring light and support to blood cancer diagnosis and survivors. I'm Kara Hetland, filling in for Lori Walsh. You're in the moment. The news is first. Joining me now in the Kirby Family Studio here in Sioux Falls is Monique Johnson. She is the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society Campaign Development Manager. And Monique, thanks for being with me today in the studio. I appreciate it. Yes, thanks for having me. And you have a big event coming up on Saturday, and that is Light the Night. So first, let's talk about what the Leukemia Lymphoma Society does here in South Dakota, and why is it important? Yeah, so the LLS, short for Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, we advocate for patients, for support, we provide financial assistance, and we fund research to find blood cancer treatments. And along with those blood cancer treatments, they are also helping other types of cancers as well. So it's not just about blood cancers that we are saving lives. It's about cancer. Cancer, right. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so you help people get connected. You help people get rides. You help people who are in need who have this, the, uh, uh, cancer. Correct. Yep, blood cancers, yep. Okay. And so talk a little bit about Light the Night, which is Saturday, 530. Uh, and what does that all entail? Yeah, so this is our fifth annual Light the Night South Dakota here in Sioux Falls. It happens at Falls Park, and it starts at 530. And it's a time where people that have been touched by cancer can come together to honor, celebrate, and remember those touched by cancer. And it's a really special event, very unique. And actually, we're in the top five of peer-to-peer -peer fundraising events in the nation. Um, so we're pretty proud of that. And so it's really unique. It's an it's an evening event. It starts at 530. It's at Falls Park. It's family friendly. We have a lot of activities. We have a kids zone with inflatables. We have food trucks. We have lots of activities that our sponsors will do for the participants. And then we also have a remembrance area. We can go in and remember a loved one that you've lost to cancer. And then you can come together to celebrate those that you know that are survivors or patients and just really come together and have a good time together and be there to support the cancer community. And uh, then we have a ceremony where we get to hear from a blood cancer survivor. We have an honored hero this year, Kaylee Loy. She's a freshman in high school, and she's surviving and thriving. And so we'll hear from her and her mom to share their story. And go ahead. And going. then we will go on a mile walk around Falls Park. The city lights up the 
the falls for us, so it's super cool to be able to walk around the park all lit up. And then we come back for fireworks if the weather will allow. It looks as though it will. Yes. Yes. Um, And so they walk with a lantern. And so it's really lighting up the night. And you have already, what, 300 people who have signed up to walk uh, in this event. And I, I can only imagine what that's going to look like. Uh, with that many lanterns in the dark at Falls Park. Yeah, so the lanterns, they they are red, yellow, and white. And they are lanterns that, that you carry on a stick, and they light up, and it's a keepsake that you get to take home with you. But you also use it during the ceremony. And so when people arrive, they get to pick out which lantern means the most to them. So red is if you're a supporter and you want to see an end to cancer, or you're a survivor or a patient, then the white lantern is for survivors, and the gold lantern is there if you're there to remember somebody that you've lost to cancer. And so we take those lanterns, and we use them during the ceremony, and then we take them out on the walk, and they're lit, it's dark out, and we hold them high while we walk to honor, remember, and celebrate. And people can still uh, sign up to walk? Yes. They sure can, yep. People can uh, register in advance at lightthenight.org and search for the Sioux Falls event, or they can show up at Falls Park and register there. There. Then. Mm-hmm. Okay. And still need a volunteer or two? Yeah, so we can't do this event without (laughs) about 100 volunteers. And so we're still in need of volunteers for those that would like to come out and volunteer. We need people to help hand out T-shirts to participants, hand out those lanterns, and also to be stationed along the route so that they can direct people. And also we need people to direct the traffic to the parking lots. And so how do you volunteer? Same website? Yes. So if, if any, anybody wants to volunteer, they can email me at monique.johnson at lls.org. Okay. Monique, thank you so much for taking time and coming on the program today. I appreciate it and wish you best of luck with your event. Thank you, Kara. You're listening to In the Moment here on South Dakota Public Broadcasting, and that music usually signifies what's coming, and that's when Lori Walsh hosts anyway. It's a fabulous conversation, uh, and it is something for you to pay attention to and have that driveway moment. And I'm Kara Hetland, sitting in for Lori Walsh, and Jackie Hendry is with me uh, today in the studio And it is our fall member drive, and the Jan Hovey Johnson 10K Challenge is real, and it's here. And we have until midnight on Saturday, September 30th, to meet this challenge goal. So your gift in any amount helps unlock an additional $10,000 for programming and all of the other amazing things that you love about SDPB. So go to sdpb.org or call 800 333 0789. So I'm a dork, and when I see a 10K, my brain goes to like a foot race kind of situation <laughs> and a 10K challenge. I'm like, yeah. oh, that's not necessarily my bag. But a 10K challenge from Jan Hovey Johnson, that's a very different deal. You don't even have to leave your couch to participate <laughs> in this 10K challenge. We're, you are going to help us unlock yes. that additional $10,000 from Jan Hovey Johnson when we raise 
that original 10K. So we only have until the end of the day, Saturday, to make this match. It is Thursday. I'm a little lost yeah. in my week, but we, we are yeah, getting up is. to it. So our update for the time being, we are at $5,800 for that 10K. There you go. That's Happy how dancing. far we have to go. And it's a wonderful thing to be this far along this soon, but we still have that ways to go. A donation in any amount helps us unlock this additional support. That's sdpb.org or 800-333-0789. And the match is just the icing on the cake. It's the content uh, that SDPB produces uh, that's relevant to you and your life each and every day. That's why you tune in, and we're just uh, asking you now to take your turn and help us meet this goal. Our contributing listeners make SDPB possible, and you can show your support today to maintain that your source for news and information and entertainment is relevant to you. Go to sdpb.org or call 800-333-0789. With information coming at us all the time and from many, many, many different sources, it really gets harder to discern what's factual and relevant to you. And I like to think SDPB makes it easier on you. So our reporters, our producers, our editors sort through all of the information and bring you the stories, the ideas, and the conversations that matter most to you. 800-333-0789. And in the short time it took for Kara to explain that to you, we got another $54 in the pot. So we're now at $5,854 towards that 10K match. People are giving right now, and you can join them. Now is the time to support SDPB. Thanks to our friend Jan Hovey-Johnson and her 10K challenge. Your gift in any amount helps us unlock that additional $10,000. You can give now at whatever amount is right for you. We have a whole lot of different options, one-time or sustaining membership, that automatic uh, deduction from your bank account every month. You don't even have to think about it. 800-333-0789 or again online at sdpb.org slash donate. Financial support from our listeners. That's you. You are our most valuable source of funding. And SDPB is only great because you, our supporters, make it great thanks to your financial support. From uh, from This American Life, uh, we have an amazing way to say thank you for your support during the Fall Member Drive. You're invited to an exclusive live online event in which Neil Patrick Harris will flip the microphones around and interview Ira Glass all about journalism, storytelling, dogs, magic, and who knows what else. And Ira has some burning questions for Neil as well. Plus, they'll take your questions. So your gift of $25 or more, you can receive an invitation for this online event to happen later this fall. Donate now, reserve your seat at sdpb.org or call 800-333-0789. And if donating online, don't forget to click the box box that says, I would like to choose a thank you gift to see all of the thank you gifts and also to select this one. Again, sdpb.org slash donate or 800-333-0789. 
You're in the moment on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. I'm Kara Hetland, sitting in today for Lori Walsh, and a new exhibit will feature historical photos and mementos documenting the lives and deaths of the children at the Rapid City Boarding School. The exhibit opens at the Tushweka Gallery in Rapid City this Saturday with a special opening night event from 5 to 8 p.m. local time. And Amy Sazu is executive director of the Remembering the Children Memorial, which is collaborating with the gallery to bring this exhibit to the public. And she joins me now from SDPB's Black Hills Surgical Hospital studio in Rapid City. Amy, thank you so much for taking time and coming on the program today. I really appreciate you. Yeah, thank you again for the invitation. I'm always happy to uh, jump on anytime SDPB offers. So thank you again. It is an open invitation. So um, let's start with uh, what's actually happening on Saturday and talk a little bit about this exhibit. Yeah, so this exhibit was really a collaborative idea between the Remembering the Children Memorial and all of the volunteers who have been part of this project over the years and local Indigenous artists. So we were looking for a physical space that we could share all of the information, the research, all of this stuff that we know and that we've learned with our community. Um, Just really recognizing that uh, our website, while we do try our best to update and put everything on there, isn't always enough and isn't the best way for people to access that information. So we were really excited to um, collaborate with Joe Pulliam over at Tuswetcha Gallery to create um, an exhibit that shows all of that, some historical documents, some pictures, some art, um, and then plans for the upcoming Remembering the Children Memorial. And some of the art, let's talk a little bit about that. What, what does that look like? So Joe Poyam is a ledger artist, and I know that he has created, um, or he's working on a piece right now actually for Saturday, and um, also other artists that I'm working with. So the Remembering the Children Memorial has an art commission. So I have four artists that are working with me on the selection, the development, the installation of art for the memorial site itself. And so I know all of the artists were, um, all four of them were given the invitation to create anything. I haven't seen anything there yet, Um, but just excited to see what's going to come and what comes from, you know, really telling this story candidly and honestly and, um, and factually. And think I, I really do think that it's going to inspire some art either in the gallery or um, the art that will be installed on the site. Hmm. So talk a little bit about the memorial itself and where you're at in that process. Yeah, that's, so this is a really exciting time. Um, the Remembering the Children Memorial has been working really hard on the, over the last year and a half on getting all of the partners together. So this um, is really an interesting site because it's built on trust land. So um, we're in the middle of Rapid City, but the Oglala Sioux Tribe, the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe, and the Rosebud Sioux Tribe um, hold the land, or the the government holds the land in trust for them. And so I've had to work with the three tribes, the city of Rapid City, um, Rapid City Area Schools, Canyon Lake Lake United Methodist Church, uh, BIA, And over the last year and a half, I've gotten everybody into legal agreements and ready to go. And so really happy to share that the environmental assessment um, just started this past week. 
Um, and so that is a lengthy process on trust lands. So it'll be 90 days for that process. And then um, knock on wood, hoping for a mild winter, because as soon as everything dries up, we can start construction in the spring. And that is how big of a, of a facility, how big of an area? Yeah, so it's 24 acres, the land is, and it's actually, the memorial is really just a plaza, so it's a parking Mm. lot with a plaza with some historical information, some art installations, and then it's a path up the hill, and at the top of the hill, we have designed, or we have planned um, to install larger-than-life scaffolds so that when you approach the, the hillside or the memorial, you'll see the scaffolds against the horizon and remember... Um, remember the children and remember exactly why the site's being built, which and our we've always stood by our primary goal is to protect, honor, and remember the children who lived and died at the Rapid City Indian Boarding School. Hmm. And so this pathway is a, is a pathway for contemplation? Yeah, so we'll have benches along the way, um, all the way up the hill. We'll have um, we have some granite stones that we'll have inscribed with the names of the children and um, I actually put those out as an open call to artists because I really wanted somebody to design them that isn't just like a tombstone-looking um, mm-hmm. rock, you know, making it more interpretive, um, culturally significant, more relevant to the idea that we are protecting and remembering and honoring these children, and not just a, in a tombstone, but as part of a larger story and a part of a story that includes all of us from the time that the school was open to everybody who lives in Rapid City now. Hmm. And your ultimate goal for people to take away from this memorial is what? Is to understand how this, the, how federal, first of all, how federal boarding school policy has affected the indigenous people that live in this area, how the Rapid City Indian Boarding School itself contributed to the formation of our community and the way um, Rapid City itself is shaped. Um, And to just understand, you know, I think of it twofold. Um, For Indigenous people, it will be a place to see the story of boarding schools and the impacts on our communities publicly told. Um, It'll be a place to come remember and honor the ancestors, um, the children that died there all have descendants that still live in this area. so it'll be a place for their relatives to come and visit them and to remember them and and feed them and do all of the things that we do culturally. Um, and then for the other side of our community, for our non-Native community members, it's a place to come learn. It's a place to come learn at your own um, will, at your own speed. And, you know, it just gives all of the information and opportunity to educate yourself and maybe come away with a better understanding of your community members, of your neighbor. Mm. And I see this, in my mind anyway, as as more, not the end. This isn't the end goal. This is just the beginning. Absolutely. And we are super excited for the impact that we think that it can have. And as we bring more people into discussions now, um, because now um, that since construction stuff is kind of all set up now, we have the environmental assessment in place. We have designs already done. What we've been looking at now is planning um, maintenance and operations of the site. And in those conversations, I made sure to include the visitor industry, you know, our local visitor industry, um, spiritual leaders, other people involved in economics in our community to all talk about how this can contribute or what it can do, you know, and 
um, really excited to share that the vision got bigger, you know, and, and that was that's a good thing. It means that people are starting to understand these issues and want to know more and want more people to understand, you know. So it, it's been really, really cool to see develop over the last year and a half or almost two years now that I've been in this job. And are you an artist? I, I used to say no, and then I went to <laughs> um, I went to this, and, and I do, I bead and I sew, and you know, but I never really thought of myself as an artist, but I went to an event that Keith Braveheart was doing one time at Racing Magpie, um, and it was his buffalo, where everybody makes a buffalo skull, and you talk about individualism and collectivism and how we all fit, and and we're, we're talking about art, defining art, and who's artist and who's not. And um, Dr. Craig Howe said the most insightful thing that I've, I've heard in some of these spaces. And he was talking about how the art of creating anything is an art. And he was like, people who mm-hmm. bake bread that are artists, it takes specific skills and ingredients and, and, you know, what you add to make the flavors better or make it softer. And he was like, these are the things, you know, and... Um, in that way, he said, all of us are artists in a way. You know, we all contribute to this world and help people see it in a different way, no matter what your job is. And so I really enjoyed that. So I would say that I don't feel like I'm an artist. I'm definitely not the same caliber of some of the artists that I'm lucky to know. But um, I've been happy to learn some of um, my cultural skills that, you know, to be able to contribute to my my family, but also to learn a little bit more about my people and the way that we did things. Because I'm, I'm kind of stuck. I asked that question because I'm just kind of stuck in the comment that you said earlier is that you haven't really seen some of the pieces. So I believe that you have a trust of, for the artists uh, that Absolutely. they're going to produce something meaningful. And I, I mean, I, and I think that broadens past just artists as we think about made, making like created art. You know, I think that this site can be inspiration. The story is inspiration to a lot of other things. And at the source of all of that, though, I just feel like art is a vessel to healing that doesn't include having to rehash terrible stories and tell the worst of what we know happened. It's a way through it. You know, it's a way to express hope and healing and love and all of the things that I know we feel about our community anyway, you know, and that art is one way to express those things without having to just rehash the the horrible details of what we know we are now knowing more about <laughs> has happened at boarding schools. So when you think of the children that you're honoring, what do you think of first? Um, there, first of all, I think that we have to acknowledge the loss of life, the loss of experiencing you know, the milestones that all humans, we watch and we watch our own children go through. And and I think, um, you know, just acknowledging how also how deeply hurtful it is for to have children hurt and to, to die and these that these children died away from their families. Um, that That is what, you know, what we're trying to not undo, but it's what we're trying to acknowledge and make better. And being able to create a place where their names will be be able to be read by community in perpetuity is a beautiful thing. And to create something for somebody who has no um, physical marker of their presence here on Earth, I think is a beautiful thing, too, because some of them don't even have their names noted. Um, 
you know, we have some records that just say female child and the day that they died. And, you know, in the spirit of um, showing love and affection for not just my own children, you know, but for all children, I think it's a it's a beautiful thing. And I feel like it's going to be really impactful and healing and and beautiful. And of course, I think about my own children and just, you know, I can't even fathom having them taken from me and and how that would affect my my life, you know, so there's a lot of healing to be done. There's a lot of stories to be told. And this is just the beginning. Even this exhibit is just the beginning. And let's in our last minute or so that we have left, let's go back uh, to the exhibit. Uh, and it is starts Saturday uh, with an opening. Um, and then how long is it there? How long can people see this? Yeah, so we know at least until October 15th, I think we're trying to extend by a couple weeks. Um, but this Saturday, we'll have some panelists, we'll have people involved in the project and elders involved in the project tell a little bit about how and why they became involved. Um, we'll have some screenings of our short film to show upstairs at Tuswetcha Gallery. Um, and we'll have a silent auction. So like I mentioned, Joe Poyam's creating an art piece. We also have... Um, a, a vase, you know, that was donated, uh, another art piece. Um, I can't remember who the artist was. Um, but we have some other things up for silent auction. But it's really just about sharing what we've learned and creating, like, bringing, inviting people to the physical space to see these actual, these, see these things. Um, we have, we've re reprinted documents, you know, physicians' reports from the school at the time. We've reprinted, um, there's a student newsletter that was written by the young people who are in school there. We just have some really interesting artifacts that I think will help deepen the community's understanding of the project and why it's so important. Amy Sazu, thank you so much for taking time and coming on the program today. I really appreciate hearing more about this project and can't wait to see it. Thank you so much again for the invitation. Thank you. Welcome back to In the Moment. I'm Kara Hetland, stepping in today for Lori Walsh. And during last week's South Dakota Festival of Books, Kevin Wooster was milling around the scenes, getting a unique look at the action. And he worked as a volunteer, uh, a volunteer driver. And Kevin Wooster joins us on the phone right now with a recap. Hi, Kevin. How are you? Hey, Kara. Well, I'm I'm fighting a cold or a COVID or something. I'm probably going to go get a test, you know, because now, now these days we got to go get we test ourselves all the time. So, right. Well, thank you for That's not coming I, into the studio and yeah. um, spreading that love. I didn't think that uh, <laughs> they, they needed any of this down there today. No, we don't, but, yeah. um, but you were mulling around when you were healthy last week. Yes. 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 Okay. In so, fact, you know, it's possible that I picked this up. I that was a lot of people I was hanging around with, not just in my car or my pickup when I was driving people. But, you know, uh, you I don't always go to real groups, settings very much, even these days. But this was there were so many great group settings there that a guy just can't resist. So Right. So you got to be a driver first time for a couple of years that you got to volunteer, correct? Yeah, it's been a while. My my niece, Jennifer, who directs the book festival, uh, has called upon me in the past, and I missed it for a few years. And and uh, I got to get back to it this year, which I really enjoy, not just because it you know, helps out as one of the 70 or 80 volunteers that work on the 
on the festival, but uh, that I get to chat with people, sometimes maybe too much. (laughs) (laughs) Well, tell me about some of your conversations. Well, it, you know, the, first of all, I get to find out more about the writers and what they write about. And, and this year I had um, a number of children's writers and that's interesting, uh, you know, children, uh, young adults, juvenile, and, uh, and it's always interesting to hear their approach to their writing for children, for younger readers, and in, including one, Gary Smith, one of the fellows, the, the author that I managed to put to sleep as we were driving up to, <laughs> to uh, in my defense and in his, he was sitting in the back seat. So in my big F-150, there's he couldn't some hear. room to be on your own back there. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but, but he gave a session on, uh, writing for children, a book, uh, in the era of book bands. And I, you know, that's a very important issue right now. And, uh, a, a young woman, Meg, uh, Haftal, that I picked up, had never met before. I'd never read any of her stuff. And she's a horror writer. And I got to talk to her about what in the world is this nice young mother of a 16 and a 12 year old boy in Rochester, uh, got her involved in horror writing and, and, uh, very interesting conversation there. Um, just so many different areas of, of books. And Kate DiCamilla, uh, you know, in her books, are one of certainly the leading children's author and authors in the world. And uh, and all kinds of, a lot more serious subjects, too, with murdered and missing indigenous people. And there was a special conference on that and special uh, seminar on that. And there was just the... Well, as there usually is, as there always is, all kinds of stuff to get your mind working. I found interesting when reading your your blog post uh, that will be online later today. Um, that this you yep. this afternoon that you really found out from these authors in your conversations what influenced them and influenced their writing. That is what I took away. Yeah, and it it I'm interested in that obviously for. Personal reason is, you know, being a writer myself, a reporter, a journalist, whatever I am, uh, and uh, what motivates them, what got them to choose a certain area, how their the parts of their lives or their certain, you know, upbringings or experiences they've had uh, moved them in a certain direction, and how they're going throughout their lives that way, and how it it affects their their daily lives. What was your favorite moment of the book festival? Well, I I would like to say that it was when we got to tease Gary Schmidt for falling asleep. <laughs> uh, that was that was kind of fun. Uh, but well, and you know, with with me, I would have to say one of the one of the most enjoyable parts of it was a session on writing of, to promote natural resource conservation, and they had four wonderful authors there from different perspectives, two, two men, two women, one Dan O'Brien, most of us know him and his wild idea buffalo outfit and, and turning back so much of the land to Buffalo to, you know, his argument is that you, you let the Buffalo do the things they've been doing for 30,000 years and they'll figure out a way to, to heal the land for you. And, uh, you know, that then we had looks at, uh, um, the the need to write for people to inspire them to consider a piece of landscape personally and uh, and to 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 make that was i think uh, michelle nyhoff's uh 
talked about that. And she was a editor of, of High Country News and and has written a book on uh, on the conservation movement. And to talk about engaging with uh, with the, the landscape and and having it in a positive way, believe that things that you can do can make a difference. And, you know, the species that have been lost, but the species that have been saved in part through writing about them. And, uh, uh, you know, that was a, there was four that I found real interesting. And Bryn Nelson talked about that too. Uh, the empathy uh, that uh, writers can, empathy of place, he called it. The idea about caring about a place so much that you mourn it's lost. So with my with my frame of reference on writing and the earth, that was a wonderful 40-minute uh, or 45-minute experience for me. And how are you going to apply that to your work? Well, I, I came away from that and, and one that followed it up that was more technical uh, in the way it, uh, that, that was more inspirational directly. But then it was followed by uh, W. Carter Johnson and Dennis Knight, a couple of retired uh, resource, natural resource professors, one of them from SDSU, the other from Wyoming. And the, the future looking ahead to uh, this Northern Plains environment and the expected changes due to uh, climate change. And they gave me some ideas on some things to look at now and the things to look at in the future. So I'm sure some of those things will be showing up on my blog here. Okay. Well, Kevin, I want to thank you for taking time, and I hope you feel better very soon. I appreciate you taking well, time. Thank you so much. Good to talk to you, Kara. Okay. And you can find all of Kevin's work uh, online at sdpv.org slash Wooster. That's W-O-S-T-E-R. You're in the moment.
This piece of music that we've been listening to is called The Mountain Echo by artist Jonathan Foster. And he's visiting South Dakota throughout the next month to perform acoustic tunes like the one you just heard in several locations around the state. His first performance is tomorrow in Rockerville, South Dakota at the Gaslight Dining Saloon. Right now, Jonathan is in Bismarck, North Dakota, but he took some time out of his touring schedule to join us by phone. Jonathan, thanks so much for being here. We appreciate you. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. It's Kara, correct? It is Kara, yes. Um, So let's start uh, and just uh, talk a little bit about um, your music and and your inspiration. Yeah, well, I've been writing songs for... um, most of my life now it feels like and uh, and I'm, I'm very fortunate i get to travel around and, and share my tunes with a lot of people every year um this year marks um probably the biggest touring year that i've had this tour that i'm currently on started june 1st and runs through the third week in october and it's in support of my new album called roadside attraction that was released uh, at the same time in june and so it's, it's been a fun year and um I'm out on the road solo, so my, my shows are a little bit intimate. Uh, me and my acoustic guitar and the songs and harmonicas. And uh, I'm looking forward to spending more time in South Dakota this month. So describe your sound for me. I have uh, used the words folk Americana. Is that accurate description, or do you not like to have one label? <laughs> yeah, labels, I think, are for the listener. And so we have our own ideas of where we like to fit things or maybe what we're in the mood for. Um, it really varies per song for me. Um, you know, that folk Americana gets referenced a lot, and I agree with it. Um, I usually just say I'm an acoustic songwriter these days and let the cards fall to the listener and where they want to put me. But there's, I have influences from bluegrass to the blues to country and rock and folk and uh, world sounds and I always say you know it's all about the song and um, you know there's there's songs that that grab you from from all different uh, you know genres I suppose depending on you know what you're in the mood for. Well, and music means different things for different people, but the feeling. What what's your goal with how you want people to feel when they hear your music? Yeah, I like to think it's um, you know I'm I'm kind of. Ex- Expressing my artistic tastes and my view on the world, mostly related to the natural environment and how humans interact in it. And um, so I, I like getting feedback that, you know, something something gravitated or, or made you feel feel good, um, you know, a little outside of our, our everyday hustle and bustle. I think music is a fantastic form of, of art and communication, and um, it's, it's a wonderful thing that humans can share with one another. Some folks call it you know, love or, you know, just full connection or, you know, the sounds from you know, everything out in, in nature, from, from the birds and the wind and the trees, and then the music that we get to create gives us, um, you know, a release of, of senses and, 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 and chemicals in our brain, too, that are usually uh, very positive. You said that your uh, tour has been going on since June. Tell me, uh, you're from New York, correct? Yeah, I grew up in Cranberry Lake, New York, up in the Adirondack State Park, way up north. Okay, and you currently live in California. Uh, And where all has your tour since June taken you? 
Yeah, started off in, in Northern California out of Redding, and um, I've been to most of the states this year, not all of them, but I came across the Rockies and, um, and then down through the Dakotas to Texas and then up through the Appalachian Mountains up to the Northeast, took a, a couple of weeks off to visit my family in, the, in Northern New York and then did a New England swing and back down through the South and and then now back up into the Dakotas for what feels like the third time this year because I did a swing tour it came across as well. And so it's just been really neat to see the um, the changes of the season from winter into spring and then into summer and now into fall. It's, it's, been, it's been wonderful. Hmm. Are you finding inspiration for new music in your travels? Yes. And uh, specifically, this is the most kind of been fortunate to spend in the Black Hills, uh, which is really cool, and I'll be heading back that way too. But um, you know, even yesterday, I crossed the Big Sioux River, and that was my first glimpse into fall this year. So you know, the, the leaves are changing on the Sioux, and um, you know, that was just like a breath of fresh air, having exited triple digits uh, two days before, and um, it's my favorite time of year. So it, it, it was really just a, a nice welcome back into uh, the Dakotas. Hmm. Well, uh, talk a little bit about your tour in uh, South Dakota. You're in several places, Aberdeen, Yankton, Spearfish, Sioux Falls. What should people expect yeah, when they in, come see you? Yeah, and I'll be in Rockerville tomorrow night, too. Um, yeah, so it's, it's just me and, and my guitar and harmonicas and my songs. And, you know, for some of these shows, they're a little different than others. Um, you know, I... I I feature my tunes first and foremost. Uh, some nights I do mix in some, some covers that range from the 60s and 70s to, to more of modern times, depending on, on the situation and the mood. But, um, you know, it's kind of a, a mellow show, but it's, it's, it's feel good and it's acoustic. And um, usually uh, you can usually fit, fill the space pretty well with, uh, with um, acoustic, acoustic tunes and, and looking forward to it. All right, Jonathan Foster, I want to thank you time. Thank you for taking time and joining us on the program today. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's great to speak with you, Kara, and, uh, and thanks to South Dakota Public Broadcasting. And we're going to have more information about his tour and songs on our website at sdpb.org slash news, and we're going to play out uh, with the song called Anchor from his latest album, Roadside Attraction.
Thanks for sticking with us here on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. I'm Kara Hetland, and uh, Jackie Hendry is with me in the studio now. And we're just going to take the last couple of minutes of the program uh, to talk about our fall member drive, the Jan Hobie Johnson 10K Challenge, and how we have until midnight Saturday uh, to meet this challenge. And I'm excited to say uh, that we have raised 7000 and $54 so far toward that $10,000 goal. And we are under $3,000 to go. We can do this right now. We can so do this. The beauty of In the Moment, Jackie, is the variety. Uh, The people that we get to meet, the conversations that we get to have, and the issues uh, that we get to talk about. And it every day is different. Every day is enjoyable. Some days are more difficult and heavier than others, uh, but that's the beauty of this program, and that's why we do what we do, and that's why we ask you to support it, 800-333-0789. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and something that In the Moment does and so much of our programming does at SDPB is what public media has done for decades, and that's bringing people together to tell stories that matter. So this hour, we heard about remembering the young people lost through uh, the boarding school era. We learned about making connections through community at the South Dakota Book Festival. We learned about the power of music and how mm-hmm. travels can inspire the artist. All of that in one hour. And we do that every day, <laughs> every day. on this program. Uh, SDPB is able to be that constant in South Dakota because of grassroots supporters like you, you listening right now, you can donate at sdpb.org or at 800-333-0789 because your voluntary donation makes up the most valuable source of our funding here at SDPB because you are the public in that public mm-hmm. media. You are SDPB. Mm-hmm. So you can start your membership today so that we here at SDPB can continue to be available for you and for all South Dakotans. You know, we take journalism very seriously. Uh, Jackie and I are among the biggest uh, uh, ethical uh, debates Mm -hmm. and discussions that we have about word choice and language choice and spelling and all of that. Um, Some of it's comical, but we take it all very seriously. (laughs) And as an SDPB member, you already know just how important journalism is to us here Uh, And we thank you very much for your continued support. But now is the time to donate that gift to SDPB with the Jan Hobie Johnson 10K Challenge. Any gift today from new or existing members helps unlock an additional $10,000 for this programming that we take seriously and we know you come to appreciate. Donate at sdpb.org or call us at 800-333-0789. And when you donate to us, you are joining good company. We have a few comments from donors. Sue from Spearfish says she loves just about everything about SDPB. Thank you, Sue. Kathy from Lake Preston has joined our our donor club of the day. Linda from Aberdeen has increased her sustaining membership, and that is an option for you. Mm -hmm. If you're already a sustaining member, you can bump that up just a little bit and still help us meet that 10K challenge. And Wanine from Watertown, also a donor. Thank you for all of you. And of course, we have a thank you gift back to you. Give now for $10 and SDPB offers you a one-year 
online subscription to the New York Times cooking app or The Athletic for all you sports fans out there. So just $5 more a month at 15 bucks a month. You can also get a one-year subscription to the Babbel language learning app or the New York Times. So those are some digital subscriptions, fantastic for just about anyone. That's just a, a, a few options of the potential thank you gift that you can get in exchange for your voluntary donation. 800-333-0789, sdpb.org slash donate. Those are your options, and you can be sure to pick your own thank you gift to see a whole bunch of options for ways that we can say thank you to you. You know, at SDPB, we believe it's important for everyone to be able to hear the deeply researched and meticulously reported journalism. Maybe you heard Black Hills in the Balance last mm. week here on SDPB, and it was a, a several-month-long project. Tonight, Jackie Hendry's uh, South Dakota Focus debuts on television at 8 Central Seven Mountain, and talk about meticulously reported journalism <laughs> will be that program as well. So it's all that we do, and you can help support it. That's why you listen. That's why you watch. 800-333-0789, 800-333-0789, or sdpb.org. And thank you for your support.